Well, good morning. I think it's uh, been a number of months since I've been up here, uh, so I was delighted whenever Chuck requested uh, that I bring the word to you this morning. Uh, and it was a delight to be in this passage this week, which I hope uh, will come about as we go through it. So we'll be looking at John 16, 12 through uh, 15, a very important uh, and special text as we look at uh, the Spirit, and we'll dive more into that. But in reform, in reform circles, uh, the Holy Spirit is often the unwittingly forgotten member of the Trinity, uh, even in my own life. Uh, his role, his power, and economy in God uh, are often unseen and enigmatic. They're mysterious. What, what exactly does the Spirit do? Yeah, we have heard about him. Only his effects might be noticed. But in charismatic circles, on the other hand, it's quite the opposite. Uh, We see that uh, revelations in and and maybe direct conversations with the spirit happen. Uh, Sometimes an ecstatic dancing might ensue and sometimes might cause tongues to be spoken. Uh, But even then, it's still shrouded in mystery, right? The Holy Spirit as a member of the Trinity, is shrouded in mystery. And I think that's why sometimes, and I propose inappropriately, he's referred to as the Holy Ghost. All right, we've all heard this term before, as if he's so spooky and unknown, uh, passing through the corridors of our heart, leaving a chill in his wake, right? Is, Is that his role? Well, today... Or is it today, just as in every century, uh, there is some secret or esoteric knowledge that only the true spirit-filled people can understand? Uh, We may remember the Gnosticism of the early church. Well, we would also do well to recognize it in our ranks today. But throughout history, intrigue has always surrounded this member of the Trinity. And our epistemology, how we know what we know of the spirit and truth is vitally important. It's so important, especially in an age where we all breathe the smog of relativity. If we lose our epistemological footing, we careen down the scree of the mountain and are left broken and fractured. It is so important. So are we left to trust our own feelings when it comes to the person of the Trinity? Well, no. And that's because God has revealed uh, the spirit to us. God is revealed in the truth of scripture as a person of the Godhead and the Holy Spirit has the same glory, power, and honor as God the Father and Jesus the Son. And we have a responsibility as his disciples to know the Spirit, receiving our discipleship and tutelage in him. So we must let Scripture speak. And this morning we're going to use John 16, uh, verses 12 through 15, uh, And they will serve as our guardrails in understanding the Spirit. 
we may leave the ghost behind this morning. We don't need the ghost anymore. Uh, and maybe be refreshed in reading this text uh, by Jesus' words. So hear God's words. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. And he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And the Father, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray as we dive in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this text. Um, that These words that Jesus spoke, uh, he gave to his disciples uh, in the, the days and weeks leading up to the cross, Father. That uh, we're not left uh, in dismay, we're not left in our fear or confusion, uh, but that you've left us with a helper, the Holy Spirit. And so I pray this morning that as we look into your word, Father, uh, that your spirit would illuminate to us his own role in the Godhead, his own role in our lives. So be with us and encourage us and teach us this morning through your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I know it's only four verses, but there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, In fact, not a few sermons could properly elucidate the Holy Spirit. Uh, And in fact, an entire series could be helpful. Um, But here in John, in these verses, we find the words of Jesus. And he's speaking these during his what's called the farewell discourse. Uh, So these are a few chapters in John where he's instructing. He's instructing his disciples before he leaves, before his departure uh, to the cross and to go be with the Father. Jesus is preparing them to carry on his mission. Hey, here is how you carry on the mission. Here is who will help you do that. Because you then will go and proclaim the good news of salvation to all the world. So Jesus' impending departure filled the disciples with sorrow. We see that a few verses earlier. But it it was a summons too great for them. Jesus, if you leave, how are we supposed to continue on? Trepidation was rising in the disciples. They knew the coming temptations, the opposition, and the persecution. I myself can attest to uh, mix its truth with cultural tides, much less, as we see, uh, deny Christ even at times. Uh, But it's all a mirror of humanity. As humans, we're ignorant of the truth without Scripture, blind to authentic reality. In our sense, we belie truth, believing instead of what's in our echo chamber, and unconsciously, I think, seeking confirmation bias. It's the basic sin of Adam and Eve, pride. What a dreadful condition. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Jesus didn't say, hey, it's up to you now, disciples. I'm out. No. Like a good king, he gifts us with the same power that he accomplished his own works by. He equips us and he gives us the same power by which he accomplished his mission. 
the Spirit of God. So as we jump into the text, let me begin with the overarching role that might help us in understanding the Spirit. And this little, maybe not so little, book by Sinclair Ferguson, uh, he names this well. He says the activity of the Spirit is precisely that of extending God's presence into creation as to order and complete what has been planned in the mind of God. The Spirit orders, reorders, and ultimately beautifies God creation. And that's us. He's reordering and he's beautifying us as God's creation. So as Jesus' disciple, uh, as Jesus' disciples, the Spirit is our source of truth. He's the teacher of truth to us. And as we see here in verse 15, he's the trustee of truth as well. So let's look at this first point, the source of truth. Well, first I want to start by saying the Mona Lisa uh, painting is arguably the most uh, famous piece of artwork in the world. In fact, many of you right now in your mind's eye uh, can see her there. Da Vinci's work, it, it's a masterpiece. It's brilliant. It's beautiful. And a visit to the Louvre reflects the strokes, the lighting, and the authenticity of its source. And her popularity, in fact, has led to uh, many replicas of this painting, many uh, reinterpretations where people will uh, paint her uh, as close as they can to the original. But still, for its various interpretations, uh, nothing is better than the actual painting. Well, in 1911, uh, this, he was a smaller guy, but uh, one of the greatest art heists of the 20th century took place. Uh, a man dressed as an employee stole the original Mona Lisa from the Louvre. Security was lax, and so he uh, craftily took the Mona Lisa out, and he hid it in his home. He was biding his time. Well, two years later, uh, finally, after, after some time, the authorities found the Mona Lisa in his home because he was trying to sell this painting. And the true painting, which was in this man's home, preserved its lifelike color. Uh, it still had the color, her enigmatic smile and stately, appearing, uh, stately appearance. And it was returned to the Louvre. And much like the Mona Lisa, I think sometimes truth is elusive, enigmatic, interpreted, and even pieced together like a, like a painting mis with mismatched strokes by different artists. But John is framing reality in a different way. There's no reinterpretations. There's no replicas of the truth of the gospel. The source of truth is singular in source. In worldview, there are not bits and pieces to choose from. So we see in verse 13, it says, when the spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all the truth. Whatever he hears, he will speak. So for us, the Holy Spirit is the source of truth because he's communicating to us what God the Father has spoken. 
And I think even more importantly, we have to realize that truth is not some abstract knowledge. Truth is a person. Life is rife with various replicas and interpretations of the truth. But only the gospel painting of Jesus Christ, that's the only truth that the gospel presents. Creation itself, especially humans, is the canvas for this painting. And the strokes of this painting that the gospel shows are in Jesus' blood to preserve the purity of truth and salvation. That's why John says at the outset of his gospel back in John 1, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Truth has a real propositional content, namely the person and words of Jesus Christ. And with truth necessarily comes conviction. There's not an absence of conviction. The spirit of truth maintains our relational fidelity with Christ. And that relational fidelity can be broken when another artist, be it a family member, a politician, or a personal preference, adds to the brushstrokes of the gospel painting. There are no shortages of truth heists. So no matter where you are sitting this morning, I think this has some pretty significant implications for us. And I pray that it brings conviction because it did to me this past week. As disciples, our source of truth is to be the gospel. It's to be Jesus Christ, the person of truth, because the Spirit is only speaking what he hears from its author, God the Father. Thus, tutelage under the Spirit first means to gaze upon the real truth, the person of Jesus Christ. But even as disciples, we can lose our footing, as we often do. Uh, There might be other interpretations or replicas of the person of Jesus Christ that we're gazing upon. Where might your truth be conflated this morning? We might be relentlessly searching for some hidden truth, a a part of the painting of Jesus Christ that has never before been seen. Or simply, you may not give too much effort to the study of the real painting of Jesus Christ in Scripture. If we do not have a deep familiarity with the original, with the source, how can we recognize fakes? Whatever truth you allow to shape you is your worldview. How you interpret our world and God himself. We must have the relational courage and fidelity to believe the gospel alone. God's word of truth to us. No other paintings are original. But that's what the spirit of truth is here for. To make us dwell in truth. He's teaching it to us. And that's what verse 14 shows us, that he is guiding us in truth, and he's teaching us truth. And this brings glory to God. Look at verse 14 again. It says, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it 
to you. This type of language is representative of John's gospel. But how does the Spirit glorify Jesus? I think he does it in two ways. First, the Spirit ratifies the kingdom of God in the world and in our hearts. Calvin rightly states, the office of the Holy Spirit was to establish the kingdom of Christ to maintain and confirm forever all that was given to him by the Father. And that includes us. As the Spirit teaches, confirms, and maintains us in Christ, he glorifies the Father. Now the word tutelage doesn't just simply mean instruct. It also means to have protection or authority over. So he's not only teaching us, but he's protecting us and watching over us. And in this way, the Spirit glorifies us, or the Spirit glorifies Christ uh, in us. As we are grounded and taught the truth, we are to bear much fruit and so prove to be Christ's disciples. You see, when we understand the, the truth of Christ, the Spirit enables us to live by such truth. Our devotion is singular and its fruit sweet in our lives. The Spirit dwells in us, teaching us moment by moment how to live according to the truths of God's Word. And I pray in time this leads to a deep familiarity with God's Word, with His truth. Now, as many of you have or or currently are, uh, I take the role of parenting seriously. Now, I'm only two and a half months deep, so we'll we'll see. But it's a wonderful, uh, though at times very wearisome, uh, call from God uh, to shepherd our daughter. Uh, And it's even more of a delight and even a relief to know that I don't own her. We don't own her. God does. (sighs) What a relief. But her care is entrusted to us. We are the agents to nourish and admonish her in Scripture. Uh, To use Tim Keller's phrase, Katie and I uh, want to cultivate a moral ecology for Abigail. What this means is creating a, a life, cultivating a life where she's soaked in the truths of Scripture. So thus, we read books to her, we tell her story of God's hand in our lives, uh, explain why God made such and such and so on, even now. Like well-prepared meat, we want her to marinate in the truth of the gospel. And this marination, through instruction, love, and discipline, we pray will create a deep familiarity with the gospel and with her Savior, Jesus. And in doing so, she brings glory to Christ. And this is the desire of our hearts. And much like a parent, the Spirit's guardianship catechizes us in truth. He sustains and preserves a gospel ecology in our hearts. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. 
The Spirit is our one teacher who enables us to do so. And like a good parent, he nurtures us and convicts us in the truth. But the problem is still a battle rages for the guardianship of our heart. The world and sometimes even our own heart attempts to sabotage the gospel truth. But the Spirit illuminates and teaches God's word to us. And this happens maybe in your morning devotional. Uh, Maybe you hear it on a Sunday morning in the sermon your life conversations. But he's even teaching us when we go to the grocery store. The Spirit is shaping our worldview and the gospel. He shepherds us in our daily walk, nourishing us, marinating us in the truth. In this, he's liberating our ignorance of the truth. But the other aspect that he does is he brings remembrance of the truth to us. Uh, we need this tutelage. We need this instruction because we are uh, apt to forget it. This remembrance brings encouragement to us when we're patient for others, uh, when we resist temptations, or when we're in the fellowship of others and it creates warmth. These are encouraging things to know that the truth is being applied in our lives. But remembrance of the truth brings conviction as well. It may be a moment where we say or do something that's incongruent with the truth. Uh, We join a gossip chorus or we humiliate a fellow image bearer, be it a friend or driver on the road. Sometimes we are too quick to do such things, but a quick conviction, a quick remembrance of truth is a sign of grace at work. So we must examine the truth in our own hearts. Are we keen to establish safeguards in our lives to protect the deposit that's been entrusted to us? Truth must be tested by the litmus test of the Spirit. When our lives comport with Scripture, we taste and see that the Lord is good. And in this, the Spirit is bringing glory to Christ. But yet there is a final role that we see in this passage uh, that the Spirit is responsible for, and that is the trustee of the truth. Let's look at that. He's not merely a guardian, and the Spirit is a trustee of the truth. And as a trustee, he is the person of the Trinity Uh, with the legal power and authorization to confer the benefits of salvation to those whom God has called. He has the legal authority by Christ, by God the Father, to apply salvation to our lives. It's clear in verse 15, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is a work of the Trinity. All that Jesus has is the Father's. And now what Jesus has, his work and redemption, the Spirit is going to take and declare it and give it to us. Now, of course, the disciples were specifically here uh, charged with uh, authoring much of the New Testament. 
which is not something uh, we are to do. Uh, and that's part of the immediate concern of the text. But this verse has implications for us as believers as well. The Spirit unites us to Christ in a mysterious way, one which we will not know. But we are in the Spirit as we are in Christ. He applies the riches of God's grace and salvation to our lives. Now, we've heard this churchy language before, right? Being in Christ. And in fact, sometimes I think uh, I've been guilty of it. We throw it around without even recognizing what it means or understanding it. Uh, It's certainly lofty theology, but Louis Burkhoff, I think, makes it palpable. He says, by this union, believers are changed into the image of Christ according to his human nature. What Christ affects in his people, in a sense, a replica or reproduction of what took place in Christ. They bear the cross, are crucified, die, and are raised to the newness of life with Christ. They share in a measure of the experiences of our Lord. What a treat for Jesus' beleaguered disciples. What good news. They were fearful to lose Christ as he departed. But instead, because Christ gifted them the Spirit, the disciples gained him more abundantly than, with, than when Christ was with them. Indeed, the Spirit ensures that we are not left as orphans. We are equipped to continue his mission in all the world. When I met Katie, uh, it was easy to see uh, some of the characteristics and the beauty uh, of Katie. Uh, She was fun. Obviously, I noticed her beauty, uh, her sassy personality, and just the general joy she took in life. Uh, It was a lot of fun. But it wasn't until my union with her in marriage that I really began to understand the fullness of who Katie was and who Katie is. Her deep compassion and her tenderness for others, her joy in Christ and her immense grace, all of which I still continue to learn to this day. And many of you that have been married longer could articulate the same things, probably to an even greater extent. But for me, Katie models Christ's character quite well. Now, we share in a marriage together, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. All that I have is hers and hers mine. Uh, And I devote all of who I am, my energy, my resources, my life to her and her to me. It matters not whether it's uh, sickness or health, rich or poor, or for better or for worse. Uh, We are sharing in life's joys and hardships together. In some ways, we are the trustees of each other's hearts. But while our marriage is important, our primary aim is to know God and to make him known. Well, in a similar sense, the Spirit marries us to Christ. We recognize Jesus' truth and warmth in the gospel 
But only by faith and union with Christ and the Spirit do we begin to know the fullness of Christ. By the Spirit, all of Christ's power, all of his energy, all of his grace, his death, and his resurrection are ours. All for the sake of his mission in the world. And the meal that is set before us today that we will feast upon reminds us of this truth. This past week I've been deeply convicted, uh, much so by this text. I believe that the heart of the American church is at stake. We are at a crossroads, and to be honest, I've seen it in my own family. A pervasive, deceptive, and subversive conflation of the gospel truth. God's truth is singular, absolute, authoritative, and immutable. It doesn't change with cultural tides or political tides. While political ideologies conflate truth, bending it to its own desires, it cannot poison the purity of God's truth. We wrestle in an age of mis- and disinformation, Christian nationalism, and a divisive us-versus-them mentality. However, because of the spirit of truth, we are not left naked or destitute. John demonstrates the spirit of truth, unites us to the person of truth, Jesus Christ. Jesus' beckon is clear as it was 2,000 years ago. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we come to you from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that you may strengthen us in our inner being with power and truth through your Spirit, according to the riches of your glory. Help us discern truth and error. Convict us where we have gone astray. We pray that Christ may dwell in our hearts richly through faith, that we may be rooted and grounded in love, knowing the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, in order that we might be filled with all the fullness of God and truth. Father, you alone are able to do more than we ask or think, according to the power of the Spirit at work within us. Lead us, guide us, and preserve us in all truth, God. And to you be the glory and the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Amen. Amen.